Good evening, everyone. It's that time of the week again. Time for Necromaniacs. How's it going, Mike? It is going well. What is up, everybody? It's uh, Mike and Mike at you again. Um, we are in the, the in the grip of winter, as uh, Autopsy says. Um, bit of a bit of a snowstorm over the weekend, at least in, in New York City. It's kind of a lot of a lot of the snow is kind of melted, but uh, makes for some great horror viewing, Mike. Oh yeah, dude. I was I was like uh, snowed in all weekend. Actually, I was. Uh, we got about I don't know, maybe sixteen inches out here in Jersey. Mm. Yeah, Brooklyn. I, I would say probably at least a, a foot, or maybe a little less, um, enough to kind of shut it down. Uh, but yeah, I, I I got to watch a bunch of cool shit, and you know, including a rewatch of, of what we're going to discuss tonight, and uh, caught up on some on some TV viewing and and all that good stuff. But uh, Without any further ado, folks, you know what time it is. It's time for the plugs. That's right. And uh, our first plug is, of course, our brothers in arms, Break the Apocalypse podcast, which comes to you every Friday on uh, Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, if you want to laugh, you want to think about some fun shit, you want to think about some some political shit, some socio-political shit, but with a nice funny twist if you want to know what's going on in the life of my brother john draper uh listen to the show it's a fun show break the apocalypse i tune in i i started yeah. listening to it uh, right you know last mm. last few weeks ever since you were a guest actually yeah well mike i have that effect on people yeah. you know once yeah, you uh, that, once i'm on a show i think i kind of reel them in you, you know got that uh, charm you got that animal magnetism I do. Or like they said to the Godfather, that olive oil voice in Guinea Charm. Yeah, that's what it is. Mm. And I'd like to shout out Brandon Legion's Horror Wolf podcast. And yes. He, um, he keeps uh, coming across with the awesome interviews every week of uh, your favorite horror actors and filmmakers. He's got quite a assortment of guests that he's been running through. So, uh, so he's doing a great job over there. Uh, this morning while working, I listened to uh, his podcast from, uh, you know, his most recent one, where he interviewed the director of our of one of our faves, uh, My Heart Can't Beat Unless You Tell It To. You know, that was really cool. I listened to yeah. that early this morning as well, too. Ah, see, Mike, we're on the same fucking page. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's just a, a taste of what you can get from listening to the Horror Wolf 666 podcast. Um. And while we're at it, Mike, let's throw some love to Into the Necrosphere podcast. Dude, I, I, I was just about to start repping uh -huh. Jackie because yes. he's been like, uh, you know, he's, he's one of us. You know what I'm saying? He is. And I listened to his most recent one the other day. Great podcast. Into the Necrosphere, folks. Black fucking metal. Music side. Not a horror podcast, but in the wheelhouse of necromaniacs nonetheless. Check it out. Yeah, he's he's real heavy on black metal, and that that's you know I think that's great, you know. So if totally. you want want to find out like uh, about some relatively obscure uh, black metal stuff that you probably you might you might want to hear, you might, might want to check this out, you know. Shit, yeah. And I have to say that I um as uh, you know I've been a guest on his show a couple times, and he's been on uh, my other podcast. Everything went black, and yep. Mm -hmm. We got like a, a like a little crew going, man. I, I met some really cool people. Um, you know, Cheyenne from from Trivax. 
Mm -hmm. uh, the dudes from the Amenta. I mean, it's like, I don't know. It's cool. It's like there's like a group. We got like a little crew going, you know, I, I, I really dig that. And then I listened to uh, the most recent Agitators Anonymous on Sunday. And that was really cool with Alan Averill from Primordial. Um, you know, he, he, he talks about music, but it, I mean, he's primarily actually not music. It's, it's kind of what a lot of what's going on in Ireland and what's just, you know, kind of going on in like the COVID world and, and mandates and censorship. And I would have to say, I would recommend, uh, agitators anonymous to the listeners as well, Mike, to be honest, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a good podcast. I, I tuned in actually. I, I tuned in, and I, and I'm, I started listening, uh, dabbling in Primordial too. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, great fucking band. I, I don't know why, like I never took the plunge, man. Like I I saw them at uh, Maryland mm -hmm. Death Festival a number of years ago. We played. They played the same day we played. Yeah, and I really enjoyed them, man. But I and you've talked talked about them, and a lot of my friends mm -hmm. like them. And when I was in Ireland, people were talking about it, and I'm like, you know, I should. I should really fucking check this stuff out. So far, I like it. They were a band that I really, I listened to like all the time at, <coughs> at the Brooklyn Monster Factory, uh, the old comic shop where, where me and Mike Hill struck our friendship. Because um, uh, I, I just remember that time specifically. I, I actually, I think I, I even turned my brother John into saying, oh, this is pretty cool. I like this. You know, and John, John Draper isn't Mr. Black Metal, you know, as we, as we know, if we know him. But uh, yeah, even he felt they were cool, so. Um, yeah, that is it for the plugs, folks. We've given you a lot to listen to outside of Necromaniacs, but uh, they all come highly regarded nonetheless. As far as the viewing goes, Mike, I finally, finally finished Dexter the New Blood because I scored a Showtime Anytime Password. Nice. Yes, yeah. Nice. Very good. Very good. Um, it only took me a, a good little piece of time to have that happen. Um, I enjoyed it very much. I did not like how it ended. Um, well, look, it's been out for a little while. It's on Showtime. It's it's a TV show. It's not a movie. I do not like that uh, Dexter has left the building, Mike. I don't like it. Dude, it made me sad, you know, and I, mm. I, I kind of hinted on that the last time we spoke, I think, about how I was like, yeah, it, it went out hard, and it, I'm bummed. Yeah, yeah. because... I guess maybe I was misinformed. I thought the whole thing was Dexter's back. The show is back. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, Michael Hall's back. And But I guess maybe, as I do, I try not to read up on things I really like and I really anticipate. And maybe that kind of shot me in the ass a little. I didn't know that this was kind of a one and done this season. Unless Showtime has some idea to make his son Harrison the killer which I hope they don't. I, so, I, I didn't like the song. Yeah. Actually. Um, I, I mean, I thought Showtime, you know, needed to, to bring this back to, to, you know, get some more eyes on the network and, and, and have a fucking hit again, which from what I understand, this was a hit and it did well, but the decision to kill him, do you think maybe it was like a Michael Hall thing? Maybe he wanted it this way. I mean, who knows? Right. I mean, I don't know. I, I could probably, find out a little more in articles here and there but i mean i don't like that dexter is dead hmm. i, I don't, don't like either man i i you know i i um i got bummed when i saw him i saw him you know get shot by his son at the end yeah yeah but it was a really good season um worth seeing 
you know, a, a good a, a good return to a show that a lot of people missed. That was an enjoyable show. That uh, that uh, finale wasn't that great, you know, like the Sopranos finale, not that great. Um, <laughs> controversial. Both shows had controversial finales. Let's just say, will we agree there? The, um, the the end of the <laughs> Soprano series, you mean that final yes, episode? Yes, that end. Yeah, a lot, some people still don't sit right with that one. Although I have come to accept it, and in my head, I mean, Tony Soprano gets killed. That's it. That's how it ends. And that was how David Chase chose to end the show. And that's what happens when you die. Everything goes to black. He was killed in the diner. One, two, three. That's how it ended. See, I don't, I don't, just, I don't agree with that. I don't think. Oh, so, oh, so you don't? Oh, no. oh, we can have a whole no. episode about that. That's what I think happened. That is what I think happened at the end of The Sopranos. What do you think happened at the end of The Sopranos, Mike? I think he's alive. I think that, I mean, all right, look, for every episode when someone gets shot, this motherfucker just rolls up and ices everybody. He doesn't hang right. out and sit at a table and look at this guy all sketchy with like a members-only jacket and going to mm-hmm. the bathroom. No, nah, whenever when people get capped in that show, they just – some guy rolls up and just blows him away, and that's it. And he, he leaves. So mm. the, it's like if that guy was supposed to kill Tony Soprano, I think that he did a very atypical job of, of assassinating him. That's why I don't think he died. Okay, my backup thought or my old thought was that the fate of black meant Tony is just going to forever live in paranoia yeah. of being killed. That makes way and more the sense. The black man. was just like a life goes on. Yeah, because um, that's you know, another theory. No, all of his enemies were vanquished. You know, uh, no one was really actively after him. You know, New York, mm-hmm. they, they had kind of like, you know, Phil's dead. You know, they kind of like patched things up a little bit with New York, and um, I just think that's that's the life of a crime boss, always looking over your shoulder. See, I forget. I feel like, no, that was New York who killed him. And that one thing I know about mob hits, um, if, if you're with your family, they actually don't they don't kill your family. They just kill you and they walk out. So, you know, the, the family was not killed. Tony was killed and yeah. it went to black because he died. That's my little take. That's, you know, that's, yeah, no, that's valid years after the fact. Take No one. No one know? really knows. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. I. I, I used to think that he got killed, but I've re- I've watched The Sopranos like so many times, and mm. every time I get to that final episode, my opinion changes about what happens. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, again, great show. I'm sure our listeners have seen it. Uh, apologies for the horror people who go, I don't care about that show. Nah, we people like that. Yeah, they, <laughs> people, everyone, everyone likes Sopranos. I know. What kind of a person are you? But anyway, uh, yeah, finish Dexter. Uh, started on um, Yellow Jackets, the the horror show on Showtime, with that I think doesn't really get, you know, build that much as a horror show, but it, it's a it's a horror TV show, folks. Uh, I'm only four episodes in. I loved it. I know you finished the whole thing. Uh, we're not going to spoil that one because I have not seen it, and uh, you know, we're not going to spoil what happens there. Um, I know you had some issues with how the season ended. Or issues with the show itself. Well, let, let me go on record and say I I enjoy when things are slow and have a lot of dialogue and all that. But this one just did not. It it just didn't move. Like I I don't hmm. think that 
they spent too much time fucking around, I thought. You know what I mean? And, like, uh, they could have got to wherever they're going quicker. And I'm never one. I always, I'm always the opposite with things. But I think that a lot, there was a lot of lulls. And okay. there was a lot of stuff in there that I didn't really care about. And and there's also stuff like, like it's like, uh, you know, folk horror for basic people. You know what I mean? I will agree with that so yeah. far. Because I think this literally, that's exactly what it has been, I think. I think quite a few eyes on it have not seen the films you and I have seen, have not seen the films our listeners have seen. I'm not going to make a blanket statement and say all of them. But I think a large percentage, this is brand new territory, which could be the reason why it's actually been quite successful. Um, it's it's put an, a, a mainstream coat with a fairly mainstreamish cast on um, a, a horror subgenre, right? Yeah, you know, and yeah, it's like I think I said before we started, it's like full car for white chicks, you know. <laughs> in, you know a I mean? in a way, in a way, it's yeah. like I mean, it's like kind of sort of what it is, kind of sort of. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, no offense, but uh, I, I just feel like it's, it's, you know how like there's like that, that type of person is like really into like all this like serial killer, serial killer stuff that's on Netflix. Right, right, right. It's like they discovered all this like weird fiction and, you know, like woodsy horror and stuff like that. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, yeah, okay, well, this is cool, but there's tons of stuff out there that's just more interesting to me, you know? Well, I'm wondering where the creators got their cues from. I mean, hey, for all I know, the, the show creators and writers are obviously fans of, of, of folk horror, obviously, but they managed to, to put it in a way that uh, has been uh, successful and accessible. And I kind of commend them for that. But I do see where, you know, people on our side of the house might poo-poo that a little, as they say. Um, but that's okay, too. I mean, if this manages to get somebody to check out a bunch of great indie folk horror or or fuck the wicker man or whatever you know what i'm saying i mean kill list something interesting right exactly i mean if it if it leads you to somewhere cool then that's great kind of like what i said if they were able to remake some classic giallo and it it leads you to check out sergio martino that's that's pretty cool right i i don't have any beef with that okay but uh i am liking it i gotta say i'm liking it i'm interested to see where it goes um so yeah, actually, I, I you know, I kind of commend Showtime for a show like this. It's it's interesting, interesting, you know, take. Yeah, I I, I mean, I'm I'm definitely going to check out the second season. You know, hoping that like I want to see what happens, and that's the thing. You know, I want to I want to see where the story goes, and and someone who has patience like me, yeah, the fact that I've grown impatient with it to me says a lot. You know. <laughs> No, totally. What have you been checking out? Oh man, I watched a horrible film. <laughs> it was uh, called Queen of the Damned. Have you ever seen that? Wait, the the, the Queen of the Damned from like the O's? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my god, yeah, that's really bad, dude. Yeah, bad. The reason why I checked it out is on Everything Went Black. We're doing an episode on Roland Howard from uh from the birthday party, you know, and okay, you know, Crime in the City Solution. He has a film credit in Queen of the Damned. Huh, so I'm like, all right, let me, let me check this out. You know, maybe he's like, plays like a vampire or his music's in it or something like that. Oh, <laughs> my God. 
What a fucking yeah! It, the book is great. I read the book. Yeah. Um, in my in my younger days, because it was Anne Rice, it was a part of the vampire story, you know, Lestat and etc. <laughs> but yeah, that movie is not good, dude. It's so good. bad, worse than I ever imagined it could be. And, <laughs> and like it, the funniest thing, it's like it's so it's such a new metal like horror movie. You know? What yeah. I mean? It was made. It, it was made at a time that really wasn't necessarily a great time for horror and not a great time for metal, really, if you really think about it. Yeah, yeah, you well, know? I just, I have to say, man, the fact that he's in his, uh, you know, slumber and what brings him out of his, like, deep slumber is the sound of a new metal band rehearsing. That's, yeah. how, that's the fucking setting for this uh, masterpiece. It's uh, 2002. <laughs> that is before metal's return. It is. Metal was in a weird place in 2002. Not American black metal. There was cool shit happening for American black metal. But metal on the larger scale, not not cool just yet. Uh, like Jamie Joss's hate, uh, Headbangers Ball was not there yet. Uh, that was like a year or two later. Um, metal was literally still kind of almost like a dirtyish word recovering from the, the late 90s and like new metal was was popular but it was just like an odd era 2002 it really was unless you were listening to real underground shit death metal black metal 2002 was was kind of a slim year yeah well i was just gonna say that metal itself wasn't was awesome like there was great shit that came out in the 90s but it was like mad underground, you know, it wasn't like, yeah, big, I, I mean, on the larger scale, yeah, like, yeah. You know, I, like, I feel like metal came back in like this mid O's. Like, yeah, yeah, definitely. You, you, you know what I'm saying? And it, it wasn't such a dirty word anymore on the larger scale, you know? Yeah. I think um, in the nineties, I saw Slayer play in like a 300 capacity room actually. <laughs> in the late nineties. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Late nineties. Yes. Yeah. So there you go. Um, but yeah, 2002. Interesting year. Um, yeah, bad movie. It has Aaliyah in it, who was very hot. She's, she died, you know, like around that time or right before the movie came out or after it came out. Uh, smoking Hot Check. Not a good movie. Um, you know, hoping that the, uh, the impending uh, Vampire Chronicles, whatever uh, TV show, whatever uh, streaming service show can kind of rectify some of the bad tastes of that movie. But I guess we'll see. <laughs> I um I almost read the entire new Adam Neville novel over the weekend. Oh, what's it called? <laughs> it's called uh, Cunning Folk, hmm. and uh, I got I bought it for myself for Christmas. You know, it was a gift that I bought for myself, and uh, I got around to reading it. And like I, I read like a hundred pages in the first sitting, and then I read like seventy pages in the second sitting, and then. <laughs> I had, you know, it was just, you know, it was snowed in. I was snowed in, so yeah, yeah. there's nothing else. I just read read this this book. It's great. It's a real page turner. Nice. Well, it's winter time, and uh, the film we are discussing tonight was shot in the winter, and it kind of takes place in the winter. And we are uh, going from where we were in Rome for two episodes, folks, to the lovely state of New Jersey, Michael. That's Mike right. Hill's adopted home state, for fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm a dirty car Jersey car horror. Carpetbagger, mm -hmm. you know. Yes, yes. Dirty Jersey horror. I mean, what do we got for Jersey? We got, of course, the Toxic Avenger. We got uh, Friday the 13th. And we have Don't Go 
in the House from 1979. This film is a doozy, kids. When I say it's a doozy, I mean that in the most respectable way possible, Mike. Well, I've always been a big fan of this movie, but I haven't seen it in a while. And I picked mm-hmm. up the Severin Blu-ray. Yep. Now, let me let me say, I bought this on Black Friday. Yes. <laughs> it, it just showed up about five days ago. Well, Severin is, uh, they have a nice pace over there, over at Severin. What can I say? Yeah. I mean, it was a pre-order, but that's a long pre-order. Let's yeah. just say it's a bit of a long one. I've heard stories that have taken even longer, perhaps from that company. But hey, they put out good shit. I mean, sometimes things can be worth the wait, Mike, right? This is one of those movies that when I when I saw it back in the 80s on VHS, it was something that I knew that I probably shouldn't have been watching at that age. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the first time I saw this was in the 90s. Um, there was a period of time in, in the late 70s, early 80s, folks, where there's a lot of don't movies. And this this is among the canon of the don't films. But this is, this is in my opinion, the hardest don't movie. Um, this, this one goes in hard, man. And it's, it's, it's not everyone's cup of tea, this particular don't movie. This is not Don't Answer the Phone, which is, goes down a bit smoother. Uh, this is Don't Go in the House, directed by Joseph Ellison, uh, shot in 79 in New Jersey. Released uh, initially in Honolulu only in April 9th of 1980. <laughs> That's so and funny. then uh, a few months later in New York and, you know, seeped its way into the into the grindhouses uh, in America throughout 1980. Um, a dark one, folks. A dark cup of coffee this film is, Michael. And like you said, it was filmed in specifically in Highland Park, New Jersey, at the Strauss, mm-hmm. the Strauss Mansion, which uh, you can go and visit that, actually. Yeah. Um, while they were filming it, it was like falling the fuck apart and, and they had like no problem filming in it back then. Uh, now it has been spruced up and it's like a, almost like I believe a landmark status. But man, it still looks creepy as fuck. You could you can look it up. The Atlantic Highlands Mansion, do a Google search. Uh, you can even visit it, at which I would definitely uh, like to do uh, when it gets a little warmer out. Um I mean, literally, I don't know, 70, 65% of the movie is shot in the house, Mike. Yeah, it's, it's a, a lot, it adds a lot of atmosphere, uh, the, the rundown, former glory. You know, it's like a, you can tell at one point it was a beautiful place, you know, but then it yeah. just fell into disrepair, you know. Um, at the time, it was also used as like low-income housing uh, back in, in, in 79. Um we can uh, go over the cast of this one. Um, Dan Grimaldi as Donald Donnie Kohler. Uh, Dan Grimaldi, many will recognize as Patsy Parisi from The Sopranos. We bring it back to The Sopranos. Mike. Yeah, How see, about that? that's why we were talking about it earlier. That we... is right, man. That's what we do here on the show. Yeah. Um, I will say, as an aside, I learned that Dan Grimaldi currently is a professor at one of my alma maters, Mike Hill. He is a professor at Kingsborough Community College, where I got my associate's degree back in the day. How about that? Um, so he's kind of out of the acting world. He's uh, he's he's a he's a man of uh, man of the book scholar, Mike. That's awesome. Um, yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, Charlie Bonnet, 
as his friend Ben, Bill Ricci as Vito, Robert Osef as Bobby Tuttle, Joanna Bruchet as Kathy Jordan. Very sexy, the uh, uh, Kathy Jordan character. Um, she has a very unfortunate ending, uh, let's just say. Uh, Ruth Dardick as Mrs. Caller, uh, a role with no no actual spoken parts, though, Mike, huh? No, no. Just we'll get to it. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I got to say, Johanna oh. Bruchet, uh, this is her only credit on IMDb. Wow. How about <laughs> that? See, I love that shit. I love it. This, these people who made like one movie in the 70s or 80s and literally never acted again. I, I'm always very fascinated by that. Uh, Ralph Bowman as Father Garrity. Joey Pesci as Bobby Tuttle's son. Not that Joe Pesci. This is another Joe Pesci. Uh, Eileen Dunn as Michael's mother and Christian Ilseador as Michael. Weird, weird thing at the very end of these, the end of this movie, this Michael and his, and the mother who appear at the end who have, you know, credits because there's not a huge cast in this movie. They're literally only in the movie at the very end. And, and we'll, I guess we'll get to that towards the end. Uh, you know, towards the end end of our deep dive, so to speak. It's just a weird, weird scene at the end of the movie. What do you think about that weird ending scene? Yeah, I mean, it's the thing about this movie is, uh, you know, obviously this is a grindhouse film. You know what I mean? This is as hard as like, uh, you know, 42nd Street, fair, mm-hmm. fair, you know? Yes, 100%. And, um, but a lot of these films try to have some kind of statement you know, some mm-hmm. subtext. And this one yeah. obviously is about child abuse and like child kind abuse, of, 100%. you yeah. know, the lasting, you know, how it gets passed along and, and how it ruins lives. And that's mm-hmm. essentially what this film and, and it's a, um, it's brethren film maniac with, you know, Joseph yes. Bell, uh, Bill Lustig, which came out about the same time, but I find these films to be very similar in a lot of ways. Well, the, the, the most similar thing about them is, aside from that that theme of, of abuse, which is what lands our psychotic killers into their, you know, into their deeds, it's uh, they have similar endings, which 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 we'll get to. They have definitely similar endings. However, uh, the directors, you know, uh, we're, we're definitely not copying off each other's notes. Uh, director Joseph Ellison, uh, you know, all these movies were made completely independent of each other. Uh, before Mike and I started the show tonight, we think. It was literally probably just you know, a sign of the times of just what the hell was kind of going on in the Wild West of making horror movies back then. You know, I mean, I do not think and I, I could be wrong because I, I don't have the new uh, nice deluxe uh, version of this with all the extras where they actually talk to the director. I don't think this was a case of, well, I saw Halloween and blah, blah, blah. Right, Mike? No, no, absolutely not. I mean, no, no. I mean, that, and, that it, like you hit the nail on the head. It's just the wild mm-hmm. times, man. There, it was just some dark darkness, people exploring just darkness. And you can go right down the line in a lot of these films that came out around the same time. It was this unflinching view into the dark underbelly of society, you know? Yeah, I mean. It's it's weird. I mean, it, you could, this probably might have been influenced by fucking Taxi Driver. You know what I'm saying? I don't think this was influenced by Halloween. No. Um, Maniac drops in 1981, filmed in 1980. Uh, I, I guarantee you William Lustig, you know, had no idea this, this movie was even being made, uh, you know, 
uh, don't you know don't go in the house. It's just coincidental, and again, just more of a sign of what was going on back then. Honestly, um, this was what the kind of movies <laughs> independent people, you know, independent directors were making. It just seems like. Yeah, and and it, you know the thing I always it always uh, you got to keep this in mind. Like now, you know now everything's streaming and get this beautiful Blu-ray of this film that. I th- that's that's pretty cool actually that a movie like this is available on blu-ray you know don't you think yeah no absolutely and it, as far as it's streaming i mean it's a buck 99 on prime right now well worth the dollar 99 it is free on tubi uh which is a great uh app that i think all the listeners should should uh download on your either apple or roku system um it is not on Shutter, but it, it's on one or two other actual apps as well, either for free or for very cheap. But uh, I would recommend going for the hard copy on this one, though. Yeah. Yeah. But the point I was trying to make, though, is back when this movie was made, you had to basically go into a movie theater to watch this. Yeah. You know, there, it was even before, uh, you know, really the VHS craze, too. Well, it was edited i believe the versions you might have seen were a little edited and of course if you were living in in england and you tried to see this movie this movie was a video nasty and you know you could not actually see the real version of this movie uh in england until 2011 (laughs) can you imagine yeah i i well i mean we we've been actually the video nasty thing ever since uh we did censor a few months Mm -hmm. ago Yep. That's been something I've been thinking about a lot. I know there's on um on the Arrow app, there's a documentary about the video nasties and I watched that and uh-huh. you know, like this film was a video nasty and you know But it's that's just... a really long time, twenty eleven. I believe like Last House on the Left was finally off that list in the early O's, I remember. Twenty eleven. Uncut. That's that's like yesterday. Like yeah. wow. Like yeah. censorship is quite real out there, folks. Oh, Don't yeah. be fooled. Just, I mean, see, the thing is, uh, as Americans, we're kind of living in the lap of luxury as to what we could order, from you know, from vinegar syndrome or diabolic or or you know, Severin, and just pick a movie and boom, and here it comes, <laughs> and it's on our way. Yeah, but there are people out there that don't have that luxury. No, seems, no, man, which totally. Is very disturbing, isn't it? And the era of this film, going into a movie theater to see this, you were kind of on the on the frontier, man. Like this, yeah. this these movies played alongside porn and like <laughs> martial arts films, right? Like the, like the know. super brutal martial arts films. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then like these like you know black exploitation films. That was like the the atmosphere that you had to put yourself into. Um, in in a dangerous neighborhood to go and watch this movie before mm. it was available on, on VHS. Yeah, I mean, it, it actually caught heat almost immediately uh, back in the day, this movie, because of the particular killing of the Kathy Jordan character, which, well, we'll get we'll get just right to it, folks. It's a she's a florist. She works, you know, uh, in a flower shop. And he manages to get her to come back to the house because he wants to bring the flowers to his mom. He keeps talking about his mom is sick and blah, blah, blah. You know, he talks up a good game and he gets into the house and he manages to get her like tied up in chains in a room that is lined with what, Mike? Uh, Some uh, kind of sheet a, metal or like, you like know. Like sheet metal. Yeah. 
And then he just walks in with with the the suit of like the fire extinguisher fucking suit on, like you know, the exterminator mask, and it's just this very foreboding, disturbing image of a man head to toe in fireproof gear, and just proceeds to light the woman on fire as she's dangling in chains. And on the the uncut version, it is unflinching. Yeah, right, Mike. Yeah, the version I have is is like. Uh, apparently that was what secured the financing. The final piece of financing for this film was that scene. Mm. Uh, there, there's uh, on, on the, um, the disc, there's uh, an interview with uh, Joseph uh, Ellison, the, mm-hmm. the director, and he kind of goes into this whole thing. Now the, his interview is, is part of a larger interview called uh, all uh, grindhouse all stars, which has all okay. the, you know, all the usual suspects are in there. Mm-hmm. And the whole time he's talking in his interview, he's wearing he's wearing fucking sunglasses. <laughs> I'm like, he's just like, wow. He's an older guy with like sunglasses. Yeah, the whole yeah. inside inside, and he's like talking. I'm like, this this guy rules. And um, yeah, so he was talking about trying to secure the last bit of financing because you know back then, like you know, trying to do things on a shoestring budget, and that was what that's what sold everybody and they're like okay we're not going to show that in the trailer it's going to be no. like it's going to be like psycho the shower scene they were looking at the uh the burning in the sheet metal room mm-hmm. as an an analog to the psycho shower scene and yes. ne- neither one of those things are shown in the trailer so it's like they kind of had this like reference going on with like psycho and all that sort of yeah stuff. I think uh, from the trailer aspect or from the early days aspect, they were they were running with the whole dope thing of the don't craze movies and uh, that kind of horror. But it's really not what you signed up for once you're actually watching this movie. Um, as you said, this movie is a cousin to Maniac, which, again, comes out a bit later on. Um, but it's also really a much more fucked up cousin to Psycho, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, you know, if you, if you break it down... All right. Well, you know, let's let's talk a little bit about about what the film, the setting, a little bit. So, yeah, you know, Donnie Donnie works in like a, a trash incinerator plant, which is like, yeah, you know, it's like they burn garbage. You know, like it opens up. They're inside this, uh, yeah, like you know, factory blue collar setting in the late seventies. Yeah. You know, a lot of uh, uh, you know, poofyish hair, and you know, it's a uh, very New Jersey, New York kind of yeah vibes. Yeah, you know grimy you know what i mean and yeah. um his mother's at home you, you get a sense that right away that he's this kind of sheltered guy he's like you know is really devoted to his mother similar to norman bates you know mm-hmm. um comes home his mother dies she's not she's she's ill she's dead yeah and she's dead when he, when he gets home and that's <laughs> first at first he he's 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 happy he's like you know, he's, put, he's thrilled actually yeah, he puts, he's free of her dude he puts on disco music he's running around the house oh the use of disco music listeners is pretty cool i gotta say it's 1979 when they're filming it and you know disco is still happening and there's a lot of uh you know incidental kind of disco music and unfortunately when they dropped the vinyl release of this which came out about two years ago on waxwork none of the disco songs are on the fucking soundtrack only the 
only the the score is in the soundtrack. The score is so, actually pretty cool. It's like real. The dissonant. score is cool. Yeah. But I wanted to hear some of these disco songs, these which are hilarious uh, lyrically. And uh, but uh, yeah, he's running around the house doing a jig that his mom is dead and whatnot, and you know. Uh, but then he starts hearing voices, Mike. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> like, and that, that's where we tie into the Norman Bates thing, where it's like, okay, yep. he's, you know, he's haunted by his mother. You know, we find out that she used to burn him and, you know, mm. instill this, uh, you know, fear and loathing of women, you know, so that's where and we get. fire, the fire obsession. And, yeah, destroying You know, he's evil. not really afraid of fire. He's like, a, he's kind of obsessed with fire. Uh, at the at the jump of the movie, he watches one of his co-workers almost burned to death because he's so obsessed with the fire, you know. Um, so he's grown up horribly abused by his mom, which is which is important. And he's got women issues and mom issues and fire issues. Mike, the man, Donnie Kohler has a host of issues. Yeah. And 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 that's where we sink into this environment of like, you know, the mother figure and, uh, you know, psychosis um you know trauma due to uh to abuse mm-hmm. and even though his mother's dead he doesn't bury her similar to norman bates's mom yes he just keeps her in a chair like all leaves this- her in the room kind of rotting yeah um which you know there's a bit of the suspension of disbelief where he just leaves a rotting corpse in his room all the time which is probably not going to work out in real life you i don't think you can do that and just you know not attract, you know, God knows what, but, uh, it is a film after all. Yes. <laughs> yeah. At least with Norman Bates's scenario, the mother was like kind of mummified. Right. Right. This one is like, she starts out kind of normal. They actually do show some, show some states of decay, which are kind of interesting. And I actually think that the special effects in the movie, which are all practical are, are actually quite good. You get a, a bunch of the other rotting bodies as the body count kind of piles up, you know, Mike, um creepy but uh but yeah so that that's the setting of the film and um now i gotta say once again i gotta mention i i think uh you know johanna bruchet with Mm -hmm. you know this being her only imdb credit was a real trooper man and she needed Mm. she needs prop she needed to get extra shout out on this film just oh my god like enduring what they put her through in this movie yeah and it's just it's kind of like unforgettable. If you've never seen the movie and you're gonna and you and you watch it after listening to this podcast, you, you'll kind of know what we're talking about. It's just you know, she's not in the movie very long, but it's just the the impact of this one scene is just like, you know, kind of just will stay with you. I feel like. And uh, right? jo- Joseph Ellison kind of gets into that about how when they were filming this, how people were like really disturbed. You know what I mean? Like. The, um, the special effect, like the dummy that they mm. used, you know, they lit it on fire, you know. And mm. it, it looked, in the camera, it looked very realistic. And apparently yeah, it, was, uh, it was very disturbing for a lot of people. Even even uh, Ellison was, was, was kind of taken aback by the whole thing. And they used these different angles. And when they, they cut, you know, and, and she was naked the whole time. And, you know. Wow. I, I, you got to give her, like, props, man. That's, you know. This, oh, totally. I wonder, I wonder what ever happened to her, man. I know. Let me do a little deep dive. I don't think we'll come up with much, but, ah. you know, you never know. You never know out there. But uh, so Donnie has literally a friend in the world, Michael. <laughs> yeah. Ben, right? His coworker. Yeah, Ben. 
um, who, who tries to kind of get him to go out and, and, you know, tries to see what the hell's going on with him because he clearly sees that that, that something is, is wrong with him, you know. But he's also kind of kind of dumb and, you know, doesn't really see that this guy is deeply <laughs> disturbed. And it's not just, you know, my mother's sick. The line, my mother's sick, is used 8,000 times in this movie, listeners. Would you say that, Mike? My mother's sick. Yeah, and, and, and also his uh, tardiness or his uh, absenteeism from work, too, is a big issue. You know, like yeah. Ben's always like, you know, you, you got to come back to work. I was going to fire you and blah, 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 and all this. And I'll, I'll be back on Monday. And, you know, this, this whole, like, work negligence angle that Donnie's, like, uh, you know, using here. Mm. Yeah, I mean, after he kills the first woman, he actually manages – to get some more, bot, you know, some more victims, uh, one at like a grocery store. And what he does he, is he keeps all the, the bodies kind of in the same room and he starts talking to them. And those are some really creep scenes, huh? Yeah. And that, and that's a, a, another thing I thought was similar, you know, like to, to maniac, you know what I mean? Yes. Like, like the whole bodies and like the keeping them around him. And, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it wasn't as creepy as Frank though, I think in maniac. No, I mean, Maniac, while these movies are similar, Maniac goes the extra mile, and I will say is the superior film. Would you Would you agree? Well, you got Joe Spinell, you know. Yeah, who, I mean, you're not going to beat Joe Spinell. No, Joe Spinell is a much better and more depraved, disturbed maniac than Dan Grimaldi. However, Dan Grimaldi does quite a good job as a maniac in this movie, yeah. you know? Um, but you have... You, you have like a, a shred of empathy for Dan Grimaldi's character in this. Joe Spinell. I mean, I don't know if empathy is the right word for Maniac. Like, I don't know. I don't think I have any empathy for him in Maniac. You just like the character because you're just, you can't turn away from him. Right? It's different. It's a different thing. There, there are moments with Joe Spinell where you do feel sympathy for him, though. Yeah, I guess. You know? And but he's just, the murders are so, like, it's mo- that's an even more extreme than this movie. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like there's a line that gets crossed in Maniac that is only briefly crossed in this movie. As a result of watching movies like this when I was a kid, I thought that when you went to New York City, you just got fucking murdered. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I thought everyone in New York City was like like a Joe Spinell or, or a Donnie. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, this is it. This is what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, you have Donnie holding it down in Jersey. In Jersey and and yep. Joe Spinell's character holding it down in Manhattan. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so Ben, who's, you know, married with kids, manages to score two chicks for him and Donnie to go party with. At um, a disco. At a disco. And there's a hilarious scene where Donnie goes to a men's clothing store to get disco clothes. How great is that scene? It's super uncomfortable, man. You know what I mean? It's like this guy with absolutely no social skills trying to, like, you know, buy, like, party clothes, you know? So he, he wants to look, and... look sharp when he goes out of the oh disco. Oh, my God. That's, that's, like, one of my favorite scenes of the movie. It is kind of uncomfortable but hilarious at the same time. So, you know, as nutty as, and fucked up as Donnie is Donnie, he's like, okay, yeah, let's go we'll hang out with the chicks, you know? And, of course, you know, uh, Ben pairs off with his woman – and Donnie is, is, is talking to his and, well, everything goes straight to hell, right? The disco, right, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. Well, the funny thing is all these guys like roll up on his the one that's meant for him too. You know, you, you notice there's like at least two at least two different dudes roll up and they're like, Hey, you wanna dance? You know, how you doing? Yes. You know, like and uh but she still comes back to Donnie. Yeah, she liked him. Yeah, she, she didn't have him. her psychotic radar was not working. Her um killer psychotic radar was down that night. Uh maybe she was just so taken by his disco outfit that she just was, you know, going for it. What do you think? Well, you know, he does look kind of unassuming. Like, he doesn't look dangerous, really. Hmm. You know? No. A little awkward, no, really. a little creepy, you know, but not, not, you would never think that he was like, you know, a, a murderer, really. So the date tries to get him onto the dance floor. And <laughs> as she's pulling on his arms over like a table, there's like lighted candles on the table. And of course, he's getting like these flashbacks of when he's getting burned by his fucking horrible mother as a kid, you know, over like a stove flame and whatnot. And he gets all worked up and he smashes the candle holder into the fucking girl's head, setting her hair on fire at the disco. That was a fucking interesting scene. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, and he runs, (laughs) he runs away and her brother jumps him. Yeah. He gets like the shit beat out of him. Right. Um, and he met, and I gotta tell you, he's got game in this movie because he manages to get two other women into his fucking car back to the house. How does he do that? Wow. <laughs> um, amidst all of this, there's a priest character that that he confides, you know, in uh, Father Garrity, who's let's just say not a great actor. I thought Father Garrity. I don't know those, those scenes. Those scenes were a little. A little, little rough, but you're not watching these movies for the great acting people, right, Mike? Uh, yeah, I mean, he did he did the adequate job, I thought. Adequate you know. job? Okay, yeah. you felt he did an adequate job. Um, I guess some lines toward the end, I was trying to remember some of the lines that were just kind of funny. But, uh, you know, the, 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 the priest tries to, you know, smooth things over, and Donnie actually confesses to Father about what his mother did to him to rid him of, of his evil, and, you know, which was actually takes place before the disco, which I think helps uh, get you know give him a bit of a confidence booster for his disco antics. Antics, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. You know, I kind of you know what I wish though, like looking back, like at the time, you know, uh, you know now later in life, I kind of wish they leaned a little bit more heavily into that Catholic, you know, guilt mm. thing. Okay, you know what I mean? Like they didn't really exploit that as much as they should have. I think. Well, uh, there is a movie that goes a, a bit more into that. The 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 American Jallo, Alice Sweet Alice, has a bit of a, yeah. of a Catholic thing going on, uh, which is a, a very cool movie itself, which we may we may dip our toes in at some point. Um, as you see, we did movies in the very early seventies uh, in the past few weeks, and now we're at least in the late seventies, listeners. <laughs> so we're moving the dial along in time. Um, but aside from that. He manages, like I said, to get two more girls back to the house, unbelievably. Uh, attractive women, nonetheless. And, you know, uh, thankfully, the, the friend manages to get to the priest, and the priest and the friend, you know, get over to the house. And basically, I mean, he breaks out the flamethrower again. When, uh, when things go bad, break, break out yes. the uh, flamethrower. Break out the flamethrower. Um, and he, he, he busts a move on Father Garrity because Father Garrity kind of breaks into the house. And, you know, I, I think the jig is up for our, for our Donnie Kohler and his antics 
Um, you know, <laughs> I just think that like the ending, while pretty cool and all, I don't know. I almost felt like if they would have went even more kind of over the top with like, you know, the victim's angle. I mean, or did you think that they had kind of just enough kind of violence in this movie? Like, was that one major scene enough to kind of sell everything? Or did you think like those final victims could have been, you know, the icing on the cake? I think they could have went more violent. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I almost feel like they could have, right? I yeah. mean, this movie is literally all about this one main kill and, and Dan Grimaldi's kind of weird performance and the kind of disco scene. Like, it has all these little odd charms, you know? <laughs> they're doing a lot of cocaine when they're in the disco. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but Donnie runs back into his, uh, you know, his, his mom's bedroom and the voices appear. And I got to say, one of the best parts of the movie is when the mom just kind of appears as like an apparition, right? Like the kind of like this, like, the decaying body of the mom just kind of pops up in like the hallways and when he hears voices and shit. I like those scenes a lot. Yeah. Yeah. They were, they were good. And you know, it's, it's all psychological though. Is at least my, mm. my take on it was that this is all like, you no, know, it's, it's not happening. Yeah. Right, it's all in right. his head. So it gives that, you know, once again, you know, I'm not saying that this is a rip off or anything, but you know, there are definitely similarities with, uh, with maniac where, where, you know, Frank, yeah, Frank yeah. goes through a similar thing at the end of maniac too. Totally, totally. I mean, again, this was filmed within six, apparently within like six months of each other. This this was filmed less than a year or maybe potentially even at the same time at some point. Um, but like the, he, he's in the room and all the corpses are there and they start yelling at him and talking to him and and they all get up and attack him, which, again, similar to what uh, is done at the end of Maniac when kind of the mannequins and the dead bodies get up and, and, and attack. And, uh, you know, so definitely some similarities there, but it's a very creepy scene. I like this scene. Yeah, yeah, definitely, you know. Uh, uh, however, the house is burning down around him. <laughs> and basically, look, it's kind of implied that, you know, the house goes up in flames and he dies and, you know, but the two girls make it out and his friend is alive. And the priest, although he's all banged up, he even makes it out alive. But, you know, Donnie goes up in flames with the house and, and the voices and the dead bodies and whatnot. Um, which brings it back to the weird ending that I talked about. Uh, there's just a little kid kind of just watching TV and he's hearing uh, a news report about the fire and the death of Donnie and whatnot. And then the mother just comes in and starts wailing on the kid. Uh, for not turning off the TV. It's a kind of a disturbing moment. And then the mother walks out of the room and all of a sudden the kid hears Donnie's voice. Uh, the same exact way that Donnie would hear his mother's voice and that Donnie's coming to help him. And then the movie ends with that creepy, weird, you know, late 70s ending. Yeah. What did you think of that ending? You know, the ending, I felt like they, they needed to fill the movie out and they added that, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's it, odd. It, it's, it's weird. It's out of place, in my opinion. It yeah. is out of place. Um, I get maybe why they did that. Maybe to show that this type of abuse and evil just continues onward, right? Um, yeah. That somewhere a kid is getting abused, and then he's going to cause pain somewhere. Is that do you think what they were trying to say? Maybe. Oh, definitely. But it was yeah. just it just was a little clunky, though. You know. Yes, clunky is the word. 
It is clunky. Yeah. I mean, it almost would have been cooler to just have like, you know, that slow 70s fade out of the whole house up in flames. Yeah. And maybe hearing some voices, right? I think that you would know? have been a stronger ending. But yeah. they, they just, uh, you know, they just wanted to really, with a heavy hand, you know, like iron out the fact that, uh, you know, the kids are getting abused all the time by their mothers, you know. And that, that, cre- that look, creates mm-hmm. like these fucking death machines that go out there, like murder right. people, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, interesting choice. I feel, like you said, I think some of these movies kind of realize that, oh, my God, we're just making this fucking filth. We need to have some kind of, we need to say something. <laughs> uh, oddly enough, the cinematographer of this movie, this is kind of worth it, mentioning, is Oliver Wood, English cinematographer, who went on to do like a ton of stuff after this movie. Um, he did Cue the Winged Serpent. He did Alphabet oh, yeah. City. Yeah. He did the movie Joey, which director Joe, Joe Ellison did which is one of the last things he ever did. He did a shit ton of Miami Vice from 87 to 89. Die Hard 2, Bill wow. and Ted's Bogus Journey, uh, Sister Act 2, Mr. Holland's Opus, Face Off. Ooh, uh, yeah, I like that movie. Yeah, he's still working. Talladega Nights, Step Brothers. Uh, this guy's done some huge stuff as a cinematographer. So back in the day, he was the cinematographer of Don't Go in the House. So you never know you know, where you're going to go when you're working on filth, Michael. <laughs> you know, it, I, I thank, thank goodness that Severin exists, even though they, even though I, I curse them sometimes for not getting my <laughs> shit out to me in time. That's but, right. That's right. You know, without, I mean, especially with like weird censorship stuff that's going on these days, you know, mm-hmm. and like things disappearing, <laughs> they, they fucking, you have a hard copy of a movie like this on Blu-ray. Yep. You know, they can't, they can't take that down. They can't cancel it. It just, mm-hmm. it exists in your collection now. Yeah. And it almost brings home the importance of owning something, Yeah, you know, um, in this day and age of Spotify drama, well, you know who the winner is? The person who owns physical Neil Young CDs and vinyl, yeah, right? Like me. I have because that stuff, yeah. that's yours forever. Yeah. Uh, I feel like if you're just an exclusive user of services, you're a, you're a, you're a, you're a renter ultimately. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, you don't have to buy everything. I'm not telling anybody to do anything with their money, but ultimately you're just a renter for life. (laughs) You know, like you, you're a nine 99 Netflix, 14 99 renter for life. Um, When, if you wanted to, you could pay 20 to, between 20 and 30 or whatever for a nice Blu-ray and own it for life unedited and uncensored. Right. See, and that, and that's the, the, the real operative right there is that there you're, you're getting something because you're an adult and you can make decisions for yourself. Yeah. That I want this, this thing to have in my collection, you know, I know a movie like don't go in the house. You can have that in your collection. Now, you know, that might not, you know, people might criticize me for having this movie on my right, shelf, right. you know, it's, but, uh, but hey, look down upon. it might look, be, be looked down upon by certain people, but be that as it may, I have this as a testament to this film being made, uncut, right. unedited, mm-hmm. with all this extra stuff, commentary tracks, uh, insights by uh, Joseph, uh, Joseph Ellison with his shades, you know, and... 
Yeah. Wearing sunglasses you know, inside. How he made the movie, why he made the movie, what the movie means. You get to learn all this shit. Yeah. Um, if, if you don't, you know, if, if, you, if you want to, some people just like to watch a movie, listen to a record and forget about it. But I think us horror fans know a little better, feel a little different. Um, I think quite a few of us want to know whys and the hows and, and want to own it. And, and that's a great thing. But, you know, look, man, I, God knows what the future could bring as far as movies and music, right? And censorship and taking things down, quote unquote. God knows what's ahead for that. Can you imagine if when someone you... tried to remake this movie these days? <laughs> okay, we're doing Don't Go in the House uh, with the cast uh, from this hot new WB drama. No. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> and instead of being hung up by chains naked, no. Um, <laughs> I just don't think the Don't Go in the House remake is going to happen. I just don't think it is. No. Do, do you think, like, you know, there's all these, like, people out there that write these blogs. Do you think they just don't know about this movie? And that's why they're not, like, up in arms about stuff like this? No, because how, look, there's, this movie isn't alone. <laughs> I don't think there, there's enough blog to discuss, you know, some of the, the, the wild shit of back in the day, horror and exploitation. We all know that it exists. And I think for the most part, it is left alone if you really think about it because it's a product of its time. Um, but I don't know, but I feel like, like bigger fare, say the movies of, of Mel Brooks, right? Which are way beyond the underground and are in, in way more homes and had, had a way bigger reach. I feel like something like that would be taken down one day as opposed to something that's a bit more of an underground horror movie but again like i said who the fuck knows what the future could bring i mean look i, I never would want to live in a world of of a, a return to mass censorship and, and oh, a return to just you know puritan ideals but who the hell knows man we're living in a, in a weird world which is why i kind of choose to own my music and i kind of choose to own my movies for the most part and 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 that's that. Um, a lot of people can't afford to to physically buy all the music and movies they can, so they they have X amount of streaming services and they enjoy them that way. More yeah. power to you. That's fine and that's great. Um, as long as you're enjoying the movies, that's that, that's what's important. But we are in a weird time, and I almost feel like it does pay to own some of the more, you know, oddball shit in this day and age. Absolutely, man. You know, and, and like Joe Bob talked about this. And I think, mm -hmm. uh, I forgot what episode it was. It might, it might've been the one where, um, where he had gator bait, you know, with, mm -hmm. which is like, got like tons of like rapes and stuff in it. And, inappropriate. You know, it's like a very, yeah. very inappropriate yeah. film, you know? Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, that might not be your cup of tea. That might, you know, that might, um, offend you. And this movie, if, if uh, you know, I could see people being offended by a movie where a woman's chained up naked in a metal room and lit on fire. I can understand yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I don't think anyone should dare censor anything like this. No. Um, look, it's, it's past. It's not present. It's not, you know, it's not making its way into the mainstream theater anytime soon. Um, it exists for the people who want to see it. It exists as a, as a historical document of to show that 
back in the day, horror movies were done in a certain way. And these are the things you could get away with. And it was it was the Wild West, as we've said many, many times. Um, Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? That is not up for me and Mike to decide, Mike. Right. Yeah, it's I think I think it just it's it's in a lot of ways, the fact that films like this get made back then is a testament to just you know the, the the fucking desire to be creative you know like this yeah you know like you you want to put do something you want to create something and then you make it for like a shoestring budget you know what i mean and you get it out there and it exists i think that's awesome in the exploitation era i think we were dealing with maybe one of two different types of director number one a, a guy who did want to make money and did see the the success of a prior film or a prior whatever, right? And then the other kind of director you had was someone who might have said, no, I want to just push the envelope and up the ante because that's what I want to do. Yeah, like Bill Lustig. Make money. I'm not making any fucking money. What yeah. money am I making with this fucking movie? I just want to make this movie, right? But the beauty, though, sometimes is like like a guy like Bill Lustig is an artist. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, you know, Joseph Allison, you know, he he never made another horror film. So this is like his way of like, all right, I'm, I'm going to cash in on this thing. But yeah. the beauty of that is sometimes those guys end up making films that are fucking timeless. And it's almost, it's almost by accident that he made a good movie, you know, even though he was just trying to, you know, make something that's like, you know, a quick buck exploitation. But it ended up being a kind of a classic like this movie. Well, look at Last House on Dead End Street, Roger Watkins, yeah. right? He's kind of an example of a guy, like, you know, he's most famous for that movie that didn't even have his real name on it for decades. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Right. And people didn't even know what to make of it. They thought it was real. They thought it was a student film. They thought it was an unfinished film. It's like, that is, a, you know, we've we've covered it. We've talked about it. I mean, it, it's been influential to us uh as movie fans hell it's been influential to us even as musicians like that whole story and, yeah, and, and totally. that guy um he went on to do porn you know he never even had the chance to enjoy his comeback just as just as people were really discovering last house on dead end street and he was literally on the verge of making a new horror movie he died so he has his kind of testament out there as that kind of one movie, although he made other movies, like people didn't see them. And, and people, you know, people aren't going to wax nostalgic about like the half a dozen porn films he made. It's all about Last House on Dead End Street, you know? Um, and these are great horror stories uh, of people of the Grindhouse era. And there, there's more than him out there, you know? Um, and that's kind of like what influences this podcast in a way, you know? The, the Ellisons and, and the fucking Roger Watkins and, you know, the, the oddball outliers out there. I mean, of course, we love our Friday the 13th and our Halloweens and we love, you know, the thing and we love new horror. But honestly, I you know, it's it's the weird kind of oddball movies like this and stories like this that are kind of get me more excited. Yeah, no, that's that's uh, this really deep underground shit is what I get excited about, too, for sure. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. But, um, you know, like I said, we went from the early 70s Rome to uh, Dirty Jersey. 
And uh, I think uh, we're going to make our way into the 80s, kids. We might pick a nice little 80s film <laughs> for our next run, perhaps. You know, there, there just haven't been enough newer things that have come out yet that I want to see. I mean, I'm, there, there's one film in particular that I'm really, really excited about seeing. It's called In the in the uh, in the something in the dirt. Mm-hmm. It's, it's um, uh, Benson and Morehead, Morehouse, oh, okay. Morehead film. Aaron Morehead and uh, Justin Benson. You know, the mm-hmm. guys, guys who brought us the Endless, and uh, they're going to be doing the the new Moon Knight series, and. Um, mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward something to that. Something in the dirt. It's, it's called, called something. Called something in the dirt. Yep. Something in the dirt. Yeah. You know, and it's it's uh you know it's similar to their other stuff. It's got a Lovecraftian kind of vibe to it, and you know it's um yeah there, there's uh that that's something I'm really looking forward to. No, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, like I said last time, early in the year, early days, as they say, uh, for for 2022 horror. There's definitely some stuff coming on the pipeline, and of course, we will cover it. Uh, but always fun to uh, talk about the grimy oldies. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, definitely. You know, there are people um, who really enjoyed the uh, the Giallo stuff we were doing. I got some pretty cool messages from people out there. Oh, nice! I'm very glad to see that and hear that. Um, it was a little ambitious of us to do the double shot, but I, I think it paid off. Um, you know, we like we like to kind of keep you on your toes, listeners out there, and I think. Uh, and hope you you enjoyed tonight's film. Um, what do you give the Dirty Jersey masterpiece? Uh, <laughs> don't go in the house on our scale. I give it a three five. five. I give it a three point five. Three point five. Okay. Yeah. I I'm I'm agreeing with you. I'm giving it a three point five. It's an almost four, but I feel like four is a little high. It is a must see. Uh, three point five means you should see it. You got to see this movie. Um, It'll stay with you. Uh, not for everybody. Uh, a few kind of goofy scenes, which of course it's the 70s. You have to have a few goofy scenes. But it is, it is definitely a movie that I think if you have not seen, you'll be glad you did. If you're a Necromaniacs podcast fan. And maybe if uh, Maniac didn't exist, this would have a higher rating on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Like even though Maniac, again, comes out kind of right after this, it's, it's the superior film. I will say definitely. Yeah. Uh, it's the harder watch too, but it is the superior film, you know? Absolutely. Uh, but thank you all for your support and your listenership. Um, make sure to check us out on Instagram, Necromaniacs podcast and on Facebook, and please subscribe via Apple podcasts or Spotify. Right. Michael. That's right. Don't and miss a single episode. You. Don't miss a single episode. Go back, listen to old episodes. We've got well over a hundred kids. There's a lot of a lot of content out there, to say the least. But uh, thank you so much for the support, and we will see you all next time. Take care, guys. Later.